The reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41, and is found on page 871 of your Pew Bible. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said, Go wash in Salome and go to Salome and wash. And then he went and washed, and I received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been blind. Now it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said, he put mud on my eyes, and then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So again they said to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents said, answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, though I was blind, and now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? And then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin and you are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and he said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no, well, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. For the last couple of weeks, our kindergarten class and I have been talking about the Lord's Prayer, which begins, of course, our Father. In Matthew's Gospel, when the disciples ask how to pray, Jesus gives them this prayer. And in many other biblical moments, God is prayed to as Father. The gift intended with this name or title for God is to make it clear that our God relates to us as a loving parent would. But Father is not the only image of God offered in the Bible. Bread of life, light of the world, good shepherd. Psalm 22 infers God as a midwife, taking me from my mother's womb and placing me safely at my mother's breast. Oftentimes, God is referred to as a bird, oftentimes as an eagle, under whose wings we are sheltered. Isaiah speaks of God comforting us like a mother. Every metaphor for everything falls short of providing the whole truth or a perfect example, and yet metaphors are how the Bible imagines the mysterious. It is not possible to describe or explain God away with a title, an image, or even through telling multiple stories. God is like bread and light and a midwife and a mother and a father and so much more. And yet because we every week pray a prayer Jesus taught his disciples that begins our father, many of us allow our theological imagination to be stifled by this one metaphor for God, as though God can only be male and parental. Like I said, the gift intended with this name or title for God is to make clear that our God relates to us like a loving parent would. But where this particular metaphor falls short is that some of us do not equate father with a loving parent, or perhaps with one who relates to us at all. So what do we do? How can our theological imaginations not remain stifled? Well, we remain open to more imperfect, but maybe other helpful metaphors. So we Christians confess that God created everything, right? Including both male and female, and therefore every other way that gender gets expressed. All that is human, 
was created by God. All that isn't God was created by God, which means God is not male. God is not female. God is creator, not something created. And so as helpful or as comforting as it may be to you to refer to God as he and our father, I am today in this sermon, at least, going to offer an experience of unstifling our theological imaginations by offering another imperfect but maybe helpful metaphor for God. And I'm going to refer to God as she. Because saying she might be helpful to some others, and because it's the exact kind of thing our gospel text for today is calling all of us to do. As we're all being called to live out from the way things always have been, stifling our theological imaginations as the Pharisees do. So let me get into John chapter 9. Its roots are in John's first chapter, where in verse 16, John says, from his fullness, from the abundance of Jesus, is what John is talking about, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And would you believe that that's the last time John uses the word grace in his gospel? Like four times in just the first chapter, it's the word of all the words that John could use. It's the word John uses to describe what it is that Jesus gives, what it is that we receive, and yet he never uses the word again. Caroline Lewis teaches biblical preaching at Luther Seminary, and Pastor Karen and I, along with all the other pastors in the La Crosse Area Synod, we got to learn from her this past Tuesday at our annual Spring Theological Gathering. She is an expert on John's gospel, and she gave me way too much to say about today's text. But this was among the first things that I wrote down, that grace is what is on offer from God in John's gospel. Actually, grace upon grace. But instead of trying to define this word or encapsulate this idea somehow so that we can you know, own it and control it, making grace a concept I can become an expert in, or have in my spiritual toolbox, or even somewhere in my soul, John speaks of grace explicitly in this first chapter, and then never again explicitly. Instead, John's gospel becomes a series of stories about grace. Jesus turning water to wine. Later, a story about healing a royal official's son. Jesus will provide food for 5,000. He'll provide peace as he walks on water toward terrified disciples. John's gospel uses a lot of stories to make invitation after invitation after invitation to us into the grace experience. Because John knows grace is not something to just define and define and define. It is something to be experienced. Grace is not something that can be force-fed. It is offered. God knows she can't just command us into her grace. By its very nature, grace is experienced in a mutual relationship where each party, where each person is willingly engaging, joyfully participating. Neither participant in the grace experience can keep the other one there by force, 
or by guilt or by shame. In the grace experience, each simply receives the other. Do you have a relationship like that in your life? If you do, you've experienced the grace experience with another person. And it's, I'm sure, not perfectly the grace experience. That's what's on offer from God. But maybe you have a hint. Having received and given with an other, all that the other is, their mysteries, their faults, their non-preferred actions, their lack of actions, and all of their generosity and compassion and kindness and mercy. God's grace experience is an abiding with through it all, through doubt, frustration, betrayal, and joy, and peace, and hope. God's grace experience, this abiding with, is love. And that's what God offers the world. From the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. So how does God do the inviting? How does God invite us into her grace experience, into a relationship like this? Well, in my imagination, it's like God is looking for good retail property, like a storefront where God can display her kind of love. Like, well, where is this going to work best so that the most can see it? Have you ever been in, drawn into a store because of what's in the window? Well, these stories in John are meant to draw us into the grace experience. I imagine God kind of looking through all that happens to a human over the course of a life and just trying to pick a location to set up some displays. Spots in life. We all pass by at some point. Like, let's see, there's adolescence. Okay. Everybody knows what it's like to grow up. There's puberty. Lots of stuff there. There's getting married. There's making friends. There's starting a family. There's work. There's universal bodily experiences like aging, being ill, dying. So what life experiences might God want to use like a storefront that could display the way God loves so that we would all be invited to come on in to the grace experience? Well, let's see. Her love leads to joy and abundance for sure. How about gladdening a wedding feast with new wine? Lots of it. Just when they're running out and the party is about to fade. I mean, everybody's been to weddings or celebrations. That'll bring people in, a story like that. In fact, make that the first story. And here's another thing about God's love. It always provides even something from nothing. So how about using the human experience of hunger, because everybody gets hungry, and feeding 5,000 people in the middle of nowhere from nearly nothing. Food always brings people in. See, God doesn't just set up one storefront to show one example of what God's love looks like, as though there could be one comprehensive image of it. That would be stifling our theological imagination, too. God's invitation into the grace experience 
is made through a variety of stories, through a variety of life experiences. We've seen three of them over the last three Sundays in worship. Two weeks ago, we heard Jesus respond to Nicodemus with John 3.16 and John 3.17. I talked then about how each verse draws from a different stream of biblical theology regarding the questions Nicodemus was asking. By not simply just giving an answer, but recalling the breadth of our hope, Jesus invites us to remain engaged with God, to keep wrestling with unanswerable questions. God's love looks persistent. It looks ongoing. And then last week, we saw what kind of person God is willing to be persistent with, to be ongoing with. Of all people, Jesus has his longest and most vulnerable conversation with an unnamed Samaritan, five times divorced woman, the woman at the well. So this was a storefront where, as we looked in at this story together, we could easily see ourselves. Last week I said, I am, you are, we are this woman at the well. And then today we hear this story of this man born blind. Yet another example of God engaging, persisting with, an unlikely, seemingly least deserving sort of person. It's also another example of watching someone receive God's invitation into the grace experience. The woman at the well, she starts by just being bold enough to talk to Jesus, and then she asks Jesus questions, and then she listens to his answers. She offers her own vulnerability by admitting her hope. Finally, she shares her experiences of Jesus with others in her community. Come and see, she says. Invited in by Jesus, she invites others, even us. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And later we're told many believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. The man born blind receives his own invitation into God's grace experience. Did you notice that he never asks to be cured? Jesus just walks up to him, spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts it in his eyes, and tells him, go wash. So he does, and he comes back able to see. And is that it? Like, is this physical cure the point of this story? Is salvation for this man simply being cured of physical blindness? Like, as God looks for storefronts throughout the human experience, where she can display her kind of God love, does God see the human experience of bodily disability and say, you know what, I'll show my love by showing off my power by bringing sight to that man born blind. So I'll ask you this, does God's power make you feel invited into anything? Like the grace experience, a relationship with God is where we are fully received and where we may fully receive God herself. Would you feel invited into that grace upon grace relationship by a story where John simply recounts how powerful God is? Because I got to tell you, if that's all the story is, is be impressed by how amazing God is at healing a man born blind, that might make me stand in awe of God, might even feel drawn to worship that God. 
but I don't feel invited into a relationship. I don't feel like I, I'm allowed to doubt or ask questions or be with. feels like I'm supposed to be like against or something. It, this does not invite me into a grace experience, if that's all this story is. But it turns out, of course, the physical cure, that's not the end of the story about the man born blind. It's just the beginning. That this man's blindness is cured becomes the thing that displays how some receive God's invitation into relationship while others do not. The back and forth between the now sighted man born blind and the Pharisees, if you were listening, you know it's comical. How did this happen? The Pharisees asked. He put mud in my eyes. Then I washed. Now I see. But the Pharisees are bothered because Jesus does this on the Sabbath. Their theological imaginations do not allow for this to happen on the Sabbath. What do you, man born blind, have to say about him then? He's a prophet. Like, duh, right? <laughs> the woman at the well says the same thing. I see you are a prophet. And now the man born blind who can see says he is a prophet, but the Pharisees do not see a thing. And it's the Pharisees' spiritual blindness that sharpens the man born blind's new sight. The Pharisees ask him again, how did he open your eyes? I told you already. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? You're his disciple, they accuse him. And he's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> John is a book of invitations into God's grace experience. Both the woman at the well and this man born, born blind progress from simply minding their own business to disciples of Jesus because of how they make sense of their encounter with him. This is our life's work. The most important work any of us will ever do beyond our jobs, beyond our parenting, beyond our caretaking, you name it, God, more than anything, of your life wants you to see her, talk to her, be with her, because she's with you. God is with us by choice unto death for our own sake. Are you a random woman at a well? Are you born blind or live with any kind of challenge? These stories are not just random stories about some ancient people who don't really matter to us anymore. They are stories about you. They're stories about me. These stories are invitations from God building on the one each of us received at baptism when God claimed you as her child. And as a church, we need to know that the baptismal waters that rippled God's love into our souls, it is soaking in and then ripples out from us. And some receive it, like those in Samaria who hear the woman's testimony, and some refuse it, like these Pharisees. But just like God persists with us, we, church, are called to not only receive God's kind of persistent love, grace upon grace, but we're also called to persistently offer it. We're called to not give up on the world or any who are in it. It's all God's beloved world. Each one of us then becomes a storefront for God. 
displaying yet more images of the grace experience with our own lives. It is the church's ongoing happy task to keep at it, to keep reforming and reconsidering how we can clarify or touch up or highlight or even improve the display we show the world who maybe don't know yet that there is a grace experience. Because so many that we know have heard about the religious experience, which isn't as great as the grace experience. And I know that pretty much everybody we know has heard about the judgment experience, way less great. Think if they knew about the grace experience from you. Woman at the well as you are. Man born blind as you are. God keeps inviting us in. And in God's grace, we get to invite others. Thanks be to God. Amen.